First, you must realize that you have no idea before you can know the idea. We scan across all the frequencies if we want to learn anything new. Let us begin. What has physics done for me lately? Furthermore, the equation E is equal we have now acquired a fateful power to alter and to destroy nature. That's like when you're in physics and you get a dream about saying, oh, this is a physics excursion. What is it all about? The whole of human history all falls in the dust of one stroke of the nail file. You can't really get to grips with evolution unless you realize uh, what an enormous amount of time. Our own planet is only a tiny part of the vast cosmic tapestry, a starry fabric of worlds yet untold. You're tuned in to what can only be described as the best radio station on this blue dot we call Earth. It is, of course, 4ZZZ. Bit on your conventional wireless radio by tuning into the classic frequency of 102.1 FM. Digital devices such as DAB or smart speaker. Listening via the Community Radio Plus app or streaming us live from our sensational website at 4ZZZ.org.au. And of course, you can always listen back to us or any 4ZZZ show for that matter using the ingenious on-demand feature also found at that URL. We also now have a weekly podcast of the show for your listening pleasure. A condensed version of the show without the music, which my mum prefers. Just search for our show name, which is, of course, No Idea, spelt with a K, your weekly dose of science. And joining me today in the studio to speak all things science are two of my favourite science communicators. May I please welcome, good morning, prolific Peter. Good morning. And gregarious gay. Morning, Max. Have you heard of the honey hunters in parts of Africa? They're a type of, there's like a, a group of people mm. or, or a bunch of different cultures mm. who go out hunting honey and use a type of bird called honey guides mm. to help them locate beehives and then they share the honey and the wax afterwards. Right. You heard about this? No, no. Okay, I'll get into this later in the cool, show. Cool. We've got recordings because they've done some research on the different types of calls different people use based on where they are and whether mm. the birds can can pick out like who the locals okay. are yeah. based on what their calls are. So we'll get into that later in the show. We've got a whole bunch of stuff coming your way, uh, talking science. We've got weird science. We'll have some marine science. We'll have some space news. We'll have some motor rap. Mm. Max has a calendar that he needs to show me that he's very excited <laughs> about. <laughs> that we'll get to in about an hour's time. We but do. Okay. I reckon that'd be a good actor's name, Honey Hunter. Honey Hunter. Hello, I'm Honey, honey Hunter. Honey is a good band name. Jake uh, called it. Called it. No one else can take that now. I'm now <laughs> Honey Hunter, the band. Uh, if anyone takes Honey Hunter, TM. that's mine. T- yeah, TM. Yeah. Because dinosaurs did not go extinct. We know that. No, not dinosaurs. Many dinosaurs went extinct, but mm. dinosaurs did not go extinct. We have them all around us. They're called birds. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> I just like to really mm. lay down the law there. Thanks, <laughs> <Not, laughs> totally As a marine scientist. Yeah, as a marine scientist, I'm here to talk to you about birds. That's uh, it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The fish of the air. And it may, not be in a, yeah. may have not been a meteorite. <laughs> <laughs> the fish of the air. <laughs> Do you like that, Peter? I did like that. You've been jokingly saying New Zealand for so long now that it's actually <laughs> creeping into how you say New Zealand. <laughs> and no one can do our accent. Uh, no. Well, no one can do our accent. Everyone what? always does that. No one wants that. Now, <gasps> you're tuning to 4ZZZ and the show is No Idea with me, Max, Gabe and Peter. And it's time for a bit of this. Ooh, 
Who wants to kick us off this week? Me. Try not to <laughs> dance during that opening. I dare you. Like, I literally have never not danced in that opening. That's right. So, as always, whenever I'm here for Weird Science, I try and chuck a little bit more marine science into the show. <laughs> because I think people kind of know the ocean to be weird and wonderful. Mm. And I kind of agree. I think it's only weird because we don't live there. But I do I see the point. The ocean has some weird stuff. And today we're looking at noses. So there's this thing when we breathe in, mm. obviously we get air, but there's two other things we get as well, a temperature and humidity. So you actually do lose a lot of, say, I don't think we here in Brisbane really mm. feel this, but if you lived in somewhere like Antarctica, for yes. example, dry, you actually need dry, dry yeah. it's the yeah. driest place on earth and mm. it's very, very cold. So retaining your heat and your moisture is really important and it's something that we as humans aren't the best at. When we breathe out, we lose a lot of heat, we lose a lot of moisture, which is why when you're in those cold, dry environments, mm. your nose feels all weird, your lungs feel all weird, it can actually hurt your lungs not having enough moisture and so some researchers were looking into this and trying to see like okay well how do different animals cope with this and they've found that arctic seals have evolved many adaptations to cope with the environment but one of them is this bone in their nasal cavity now we have this bone too Mm. but they've basically changed it so it has a lot more surface area got a heater inside that's it they plug themselves into the nearest outlet and they heat themselves up and it's a wonderful little adaptation (laughs) no they've got this they've got a really weird little bone in their nose oh it's a different it's a weird version of our bone we have the same bone all mammals have it Mm. but it's really weird because it's just got this strange shape and the reason it has a strange shape is so it can increase its surface area and it's really cool because essentially it's just like spongy. I don't exactly know how it works, mm. but because of this bone, they found that they can retain 94% of the water when they breathe in and out. That's, That's an cool. insane yeah. statistic. We definitely cannot do mm. that. And it really helps them maintain not just the moisture, but also the temperature. Mm. And it was interesting because they were originally we're looking at, uh, what are they called? Reindeer. <laughs> Forgot the name of reindeer for a second. <laughs> One week after Christmas, yeah, <laughs> just forgot the name of reindeer. The but show the, is no idea. Exactly, and yeah. I have no idea about land animals. <laughs> so they found they were looking at these reindeer, and they're like, "Huh, interesting." But we need to check whether this structure changes because of the cold. And as they said, you're not going to find a reindeer in the Mediterranean, so mm. they couldn't really do a good control oh, experiment between the two. <laughs> now that would be interesting, but you couldn't really check evolution <laughs> during a single life cycle. In, like the beavers. Yeah, but yeah, we need to be specific here. Evolution is multiple life cycles, not <laughs> something that changes within a single life cycle. You drop a reindeer in a different place, and their wait. nose changes. You've got an issue. That's called a disease. <laughs> So then they were like, so what mammals do live in freezing cold temperatures and warm temperatures? And the answer was seals. So, yeah, they looked at the seals, looked at uh, tropical seals, and their Mm -hmm. noses didn't have nearly as much surface area. Mm -hmm. And then they looked at Arctic seals, which did have the surface area. And then they looked at both of those seals in different temperatures. So the coldest, coldest day for the Mediterranean seal, which was 10 degrees, Mm -hmm. you know, nice and toasty, Mm -hmm. they found that they actually lost a lot of moisture through their nose on those cold days, whereas the Arctic seals didn't lose much in either temperatures because of their nose shape. Really cool. There you go. Brilliant. Grow a bigger nose if you want to be warm in winter. <laughs> <laughs> Should yeah. I talk about electric soil? Yes, do it. I think so. Is this so a Swiss study? This is a story from Linkorping University. Anyone want to have a crack at the QS ranking? 312. 
268. <laughs> hey, I was close. Not bad at all. This is something called hydroponics. You guys know about hydroponics? We do. I do. The, this whole idea of cultivation. You've probably seen it. Uh, mm. Hydroponic cultivation is is when you see those like fancy shots of lab-looking uh, okay. scientists but probably also just farmers mm-hmm. who have those like big greenhouse setups and there's big shelves of of plants above them and water systems running irrigation through the whole thing it's like putting a massive scale farm in a vertical thing with, think of your favorite dystopian a, teen movie and how they grow that vegetables one. that's yeah. it that one. And they show it as evil but it's actually probably a, a very incredible way of growing food into the future the, one of the problems with it is that if you use um, various substrates to grow the plants in, um, they can be quite resource intensive. One of the things they use at the moment is wool, so as like a base for it. So you, you pretty much just put like something for the plants to grow on, like a structure, mm. and then you put them in water, mm. and you put the nu- a very set dosage of nutrients that the plant needs into the water. So you've got yeah, everything yeah. on a closed loop. It's great yeah. because it uses less water, actually, apparently, mm. than, than traditional agricultural methods because you've got it in that closed loop. You know exactly what nutrients are getting to the plant yeah. and the water, mm. and you can reuse the water. Uh, one of the problems they've had is the growth rate can be slow sometimes and, or, and it just has room for improvement and that the structures they use are things like wool that have a bit of an impact. So, Pause. Question. Hmm. You said it, they grow in wool. Does that mean if I wet and fertilised a sheep, I could grow a plant in a sheep? On the side of it. On the side of a sheep? Because I go, think that's the way forward. You, Walking you, gardens. You're an ideas person. I am. Get I'm a Kiwi with an ideas person. I want to turn my sheep. buy those little seed balls that have most of the nutrients? Yeah, like chia, they'd be like real yeah. chia pets. Just stick them. <laughs> Imagine the possibilities. They could carry their own shade around. Guys, I need to go back home and tell my fellow <laughs> Kiwis this. This is a bit like putting solar panels on something that cr- creates emissions, right? You're offsetting the sheep's impacts <laughs> Immediately. <laughs> not sure how the wool would fare, <laughs> but that's not our problem. It's great. <laughs> great ideas, guys. I love this. Keep them coming. I'm going to get back to this research from the Link Hopping University researchers yeah. uh, who used, uh, well, they, they subbed out the wool and they put in um, two different types of stuff mm. that one, uh, one of which is structure from cellulose and one which is a, a conductive element that they would sort of weave through it and what that allowed them to do was zap electricity into the plant's root systems yeah, in a nice, structured nice. way nice yeah exactly mm. so apparently this has been done before where they put quite high voltages into whatever it's growing into yeah. uh, which does in varying degrees help accelerate the growth of plants for reasons we're still not sure about and I'll get into that uh, <laughs> but it's a quite high voltage which is risky especially if you're dealing with a massive hydroponic setup yeah. where there's a lot oh, of yeah. water everywhere and a lot Don't of things touch the water yeah, yeah. damn <laughs> <laughs> <Lord>. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, what if we just had this giant pool and just shoved electricity through it? That's a great, yeah, yeah, good yeah, for OHS. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So to get around that, they're like, well, what if we have this structured approach and then put a, a lower voltage through? Mm. So that's what they tried, and what they found is that over the course of fifteen days, the barley seedlings these researchers grew uh, in the conductive soil, quote unquote soil. It's mm. not really soil. Uh, grew up to fifty percent more than the ones that didn't have the electrical current put wow. to them. So 50% increase in growth rate over just 15 days mm. uh, for barley seedlings by putting a little bit of voltage through a nice a lattice. Is that it can DC or AC or do you know? I, I do, Max, but I could not c- tell you anything about it, so I can show you <laughs> off air and you can talk about it later. Have they changed? Uh, have they tried different seeds? Like are some seeds freakier than others? I think they've, they've only reported on barley in this, but mm. I'd imagine okay. Well, barley's an okay Surely you seed. try a bunch of stuff, right? Mm. I prefer wheat, personally. Well, <laughs> you can write to Linkoping University and file your complaints in I there. absolutely will. If you want to shoot us a text, 0420-626-733 is our number. Nice. You're tuned to 4ZZZ and the show is no idea with me, Max, Gabe, 
And Peter. And Max, I've got to follow up on the, the story on the vault, vault electrically stimulating barley plants. Yes. Uh, you asked how, how big the vault was. Yeah. voltage was. Uh, 0.5 positive voltage yeah. put through for five days. And that gave them the up to 50% increase in barley seedling growth rates, which it was an average of 31.5% to be fair, but up to 50%. Do no, you think if someone zapped me, I'd get taller? We can only hope. <laughs> We're going to try. <laughs> Part two. So I'm not as eloquent as you guys, so I have to read mine out. Is that right? I'm so ready for this story, Max. You're very welcome to. <laughs> <laughs> this research was carried out by as unyet ranked, QS ranked facility called the Wiseman Institute of Science. Their paper has been published in the science journal called PLOS Biology. The hypothesis to watch someone cry often evokes an emotional response. Could this response potentially play a role in lessening one's aggression? The study leverages previous research on rodent tears that emit chemicals serving as social signals. For example, female mice tears reduce fighting amongst males while subordinate male mole rats smear themselves in their own tears so that dominant males attack them <laughs> with less ferocity. i got to say, Max, when this study that you're about to talk about came out, I nearly binned it because it, it's there's a little caveat that says funded by the ISF and it comes yeah. out of Israel. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So I'm like, yes, why is the Israeli security forces funding research into tears? <laughs> yeah. It turns out the Israel's, Israeli Science Foundation has the same acronym. So oh, okay. we're all right. We nice. can go ahead with this without <laughs> as many ethical questions. As many, uh, <laughs> as many, many ethical flags. questions. <laughs> yeah, too many yeah, I had the same red flag because uh, yeah. the title that I saw was When Women Cry, Men Are Less Aggressive. And I was yeah. like, hmm, interesting hypothesis. <laughs> what do you got, Max? <laughs> to find out whether similar effects occur in humans, a team led by PhD student Shani Agron exposed 25 male volunteers to either human tears or to the control, which was a saline solution or salty water. I really thought you were going to say rat tears. I'm glad it wasn't that. <laughs> <laughs> Just making Mo- rats cry. Rat. Cry. <laughs> cry into the jar. Needless to say, the male volunteers were unaware of what they were sniffing because they are both clear and odourless you know liquids. What they also put in the in the methods of this mm. is that they they didn't say this in the like the press version. They yeah. sniffed the tears and then they dunked like a cotton pad into the tears yeah. and they stuck that cotton pad to like Next the moustache area yeah, of the, yes. well, of the participants. So, so they could tell that they were yeah. huffing tears the whole time. <laughs> that's weird. Now, can I talk about the tear harvesting? Yes. You can because I'm, I'm picturing it and it's weird. A few men rocked up apparently and a hundred women. Yeah. Right? And they watched ostensibly sad films. Oh. By themselves, right? Sad. <laughs> Used a mirror to try and capture the eye liquid as it ran down into uh-huh. a vial. It turns out only six of the hundred women could produce enough for a... <laughs> produce <laughs> enough! <laughs> <laughs> I And the men, what do you reckon the men do? I think they had one, Bolderizer. right? Zero. Oh, zero? <laughs> yeah. So if you're wondering why this study was wi- yeah. responses to women's tears, yeah. it was simply they ran out of they can't get any time ma- or tears. funding to yeah. get... <laughs> Enough men to come in and voluntarily. And they're cry. hoping the gender's not responsible at all in this sort of scenario. Yeah. So, 
Anyway, after sniffing one of the test liquids, the, the 25 ma- male volunteers played a computer game to elicit some aggressive behaviour. Oh, fair. The, the, <laughs> yeah, yeah. This game is... And, and I looked in what the game was. I'm like, mm. what are they playing? Yeah. Turns out it's just like a game built for psychology tests yeah. that's meant to make you pissed off. Yeah, yeah, Because right. it, you it's get like cheated. Mon- Monopoly, really. You get cheated, yeah. yeah, yeah but yeah. you get cheated out of points. It would be like Monopoly, except mm. sometimes you pass go and you get 100 bucks, not 200. <laughs> and, and then the... Researchers apparently convinced the participants that it's the other person they're playing against who's cheating them out of the points, not the game cheating them out of the points. So they rile you up. That's right. So they reckon that the aggressive revenge-seeking behaviour was actually reduced by 43.7% for those exposed to the actual tears. Yeah, the others had just salt solution, right? That's right. exactly. (laughs) And apparently this mirrors what happens in rodents, but unlike rodents, humans no longer have a functioning the marrow nasal organ mm. so that detects non-volatile liquid organic compounds yeah so we can't you we can't actually smell it if you tried mm. to smell tears you wouldn't smell anything from what i understand about this mm. but they do think there are receptors that can still pick it up so you're sort of subconsciously picking up the smell of the tears like mm. you, you your your receptors can probably receive it your brain is not doing anything to tell you it's processing that smell Correct. if that makes sense but yeah, it's still there yeah and, and and from that there seems to be this response i did see one of the lead researchers quoted and i think the guardian saying they they admitted basically that they don't really know why like mm. there's no they, they don't have any connection between these two things it's like they smelt tears they're less aggressive That's all yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and they also don't know if it would be enough to actually cause any impact in real world circumstances because this is one of those 25 yeah, people were in this study yeah. Yeah. this is one of those yeah, psychology very, studies yeah. that you imagine in five years yeah. they're going to redo or try and yeah. replicate somewhere else and they'll mm. fail but if they don't fail pretty amazing right that you can reduce aggressiveness from yeah, from the right. smell of tears yeah. not, and if you cry into someone's nose if you mm. cry into someone's nose and but that's not to mention like the psychological effects of what seeing someone in tears does as well mm. and like adds on to all that stuff uh, and there was another researcher I saw quoted who was saying who wasn't involved in the study who was saying that it um, probably lends more credence to the idea that tears in babies does have a yes. proper effect yeah, true. B- b- before yeah. you're able to express yourself in other ways mm. or have the ability to remove yourself from situations or, or, or care for yourself mm. the tears probably but have more a more effect than, yeah. yeah but it's potentially like mm. this it's chemo signaling it's called yeah, okay. it's potentially that has more impact for, mm. for babies because they do like there have been studies that show that babies crying mm. does reduce aggressiveness in some cases but not others and so yeah very very cool study small one yeah yeah, yeah. lots of asterisks all over this one because yeah, it's very very small but very cool and we had a text in from Damien uh, he wants to add to the conversation he said I wonder if crying lowers one's own level of aggression do you feel mm. it, I mean there's got to be yeah. so much psychological effects that happen right when you start also it'd be dependent mm. on like there's so much background that you need a yeah. huge huge mm. sample size to test that because True. of how much it's affected by your upbringing and yeah you need thousands of people to test that sort of a hypothesis and, but and, you could and anthony who does balls on the air on saturday he's an accountant and he said that uh if they really wanted male tears all they need to do is uh, chase down some accountants during tax time <laughs> <laughs> i wonder what movies they use hey they, what was it like six yes. out of a hundred people they got enough tears oh. from they need some better movies if you got some good sad movies oh four two zero six yeah. two six seven what's the one when that owen wilson and the dog dies in the end toy story Oh, <laughs> Toy, Toy Story, Story. 3. <laughs> oh. 
the dog dies. At, what are you talking? Owen Wilson? Who? What are you talking about? <laughs> well, we'll have some tears to harvest from Peter later. <laughs> and we'll send them over to Israel. Uh, anyway, finally, the scientists repeated the experiments, uh, this time under MRI scanners. The imaging revealed the prefrontal cortex or anterior and anterior insula. Mm. Well-known aggression centres in the human brain became more active when men were provoked during the game, but the effect was less intense if they had sniffed tears. Mm-hmm. And finally, I just added a kicker, just, oh, cool. just for my own fun. Now that the study has been published, there is speculation the team wants to rule the world. Allegedly, they have developed a formulation of synthetic tears ready for market, awaiting copyright. Oh, please. <laughs> they hope to market the product as tears for fears. There you go. Great. Awesome. <laughs> I had to do it. Do you have a favourite four triple Z show? Oh, it would be. <laughs> you know what? I would love to say that it was uh, Z guys. Don't say Z guys. <laughs> Don't say it. Or Alphabet, <laughs> or even Rhinestone Cowgirl mm-hmm, or Liminal mm-hmm. Space. But you know what? We're going to have to go with the uncancelable. No idea. Oh, beautiful. I learn so much. That's such a great choice. I also mm. love tuning in every week. Um, I mean, it's had such a special place in everyone's hearts over the years. At the moment, I I love the F1 updates <laughs> that yeah. Max puts in. <laughs> I'm a big fan of those. <laughs> um, they are, are uncancelable, Lucy. That's just the way it is. And it's a great it. show. <laughs> you know it. We are uncancelable. Oh, yeah. Motor rap coming up. And I played that because I met Terry at the Hot 100 on uh, New Year's Day. Uh-huh. So it was pretty funny. And, uh, yeah, so it's good. It's always good to meet some of the uh, people that listen to the show and, uh, yeah, enjoy it. And job done. You're tuning into 4ZZZ and this show is No Idea with me, Max, Gabe and Peter, our friendly neighbourhood marine scientists. What do you got for us? So today we're talking about, yet again, my favourite animal under the sea. Gabe, you know what it is. Octopus? Octopuses! Oh, I nice. love octopuses. Yeah. I just think they're amazing. They're incredibly smart. Like, they are so, so smart. If any other animal was going to take over the world, I actually don't think it'd be dolphins. I think it'd be octopuses. Although, and this is a side tangent, but the thing about octopuses is that they don't actually have any, like, parental guidance. So, mm. as smart as they are, they learn all of that by themselves within their lifetime. They don't get any passed on knowledge, which is crazy. But anyway, what we're talking about today <laughs> is prophetic octopuses. Octopuses. There have actually been quite a few prophetic octopuses. Oh, like soccer. I gotcha. Yeah. Like a, yeah, okay. There's, a, there's Olympics coming up this year yeah. too. We'll probably get yeah, some true. prophetic octopuses. Yeah, yeah see, yeah. the most famous one is the one that predicts the World Cup outcomes. Yes. Was correct again this year, by the way. Again. I think it's like its 40th correct. <laughs> <laughs> but don't, don't octopuses die within a few years? I think a lot of these prophetic octopuses oh get God, replaced. You're right. very Some quickly. of them last longer, but most of them are about two to three years. Most yeah. octopuses, especially ones that we'd see up in shallower areas, right, that are warmer, yeah, tend, they usually will only last years. a few years. I didn't know this about octopuses. They just die. But very some quickly. of them, some of them do last long. Like that. Remember, we heard that story about the mother that was guarding her eggs for like. A, oh yeah, yeah, the deep sea one deep that sea was one. like guarding eggs. She for wasn't three, even deep sea. She was mid. She years. was mid sea couple years, yeah. Mid, say. <laughs> Mid at best. It wasn't that deep. Is that the technical term you picked up when you were doing your <laughs> master's? Yeah, mid, say. No, actually, it's... Um, oh, I've forgotten. Yeah, I'll, cool. t- I'll come back to you when I remember what that word is. It's basically... We Did you do- get a return postage paid for that degree? Uh, I should have. <laughs> Essentially, the way we measure the depth in the ocean is by yeah. light. So there's yeah, like... Okay. You say it's... It's mm. in Latin, but it technically means like... Some light. Is that mm. it? 
one of those. Meso- yeah, mesophotic. Like mm. So there's, hey, hey. yeah, yeah mesophotic. <laughs> Meaning some light, but uh, yeah. for us it would be no light. We yeah, can't see okay, anything down there. Cool. But anyway, the octopuses we're going to talk about today, they're not exactly, like they're not dead, but they're also not like doing anything to be prophetic. They're just, it's their physical story that's told us a lot about our future as history repeats itself, hmm. kind of, anyway. So right now, our planet is rapidly heating as we burn our way towards extinction through our use of coal and other fossil fuels. But the Earth has actually been at this temperature before, though it got there, and this is very important, Mm. much, much, much slower. slower. (laughs) And though the difference in speed does actually make it really difficult Mm. for us to draw many lessons from previous times, there are a few things that they can tell us, right? Especially physical things. We can look at previous temp- previous times when it was this temperature and try and figure out what's going to happen to our world. Mm. So, the last time it was about this warm was around 120,000 years ago during the last interglacial period. Now, interglacial literally means between glaciers. So, the world has had a lot of glaciers when it's cold and it has not so many glaciers when it's warm. Wow, aren't geologists amazing? <laughs> we are so descriptive. Yeah. We're really smart. So, the way we sort of measure this, we have glacial periods, interglacial periods. And in glacial periods, because there's a lot of ice and snow... It usually means a lower sea level. And interglacial periods have a higher sea level. Wow, we're all learning. (laughs) Now, this is a broad generalisation, but even before we as humans threw a brick on the accelerator, our interglacial period has had much less ice than in glacial periods. We're sort of in this Goldilocks zone in the middle. Mm. But really warm interglacial periods, like what we're kind of approaching now, can have significantly less ice than we have now too, once the scales sort of tip further out. But guys can see your faces. You're thinking, what has this got to do with octopuses? <laughs> we're talking about ice. Octopuses yeah. don't live in ice. Mm. But they do live around ice. And these researchers from James Cook University QS ranking... James Cook. Uh, James Cook, you should know this. 500. It'd be higher. Maybe 300. 300. Wow, everyone's... It's 415, which <laughs> I was actually shocked at. So oh, really? boo on no, you no. for being so <laughs> sad about our neighbours. <laughs> Come on. you got to have a little belief in them. <laughs> so these researchers from James Cook collected a bunch of DNA samples from the Turquette's octopus. It might be Turkey. I don't know if it's French. Hmm. Anyway, Turquette's octopus found in the Weddell, Amundsen and Ross Sea. So these seas are sort of found around the Western Antarctic ice sheet and they're split by this exceedingly large volume of ice which means that right now these octopuses don't really see much of each other to my knowledge they're still technically the same species but usually geographical isolation like being split apart by an ice sheet is one of the reasons why you would split a a species Mm because they can no longer actually mate this is something that you learn in biology pretty early Mm -hmm. so the thing so what happens essentially why we would split a species is because when geology puts you apart like being an, a, on different sides of a mountain range or there's a river or something you can't breed together anymore and your dna and your genetics mm. slowly move apart you're not that similar anymore but all these changes are recorded in our dna what we share what we don't how much we share and even sort of when we started sharing it all of that information is locked in there and from mm. that information we can learn a lot which is essentially what these researchers did. They got DNA samples from the octopuses all around the Western Antarctic ice sheet and they looked into their DNA and they found that that, they didn't used to be separated. They used to have similar DNA, which is not in itself surprising. So there wasn't something in the way. There wasn't something, exactly. Yeah, yeah. What was surprising is that they found out that they were mingling with nothing in the way Hmm. about 120,000 years ago, which is important because 
120,000 years ago, we were at about the same temperature as we are right now, mm. which means while we have a Western Antarctic ice sheet right now, Ooh. and it's a very important ice sheet, mm. it didn't last time we were at this temperature. So what they are sort of predicting is that it doesn't look good for the Western mm. Antarctic ice sheet if mm. the last time we were at this temperature, it didn't persist. Good for getting together again, though. Uh, it's great for the octopuses, <laughs> I think. Yeah, I mean, unless they don't like each other now, but <laughs> good for the octopuses, really bad for us. Hard after 120,000 years. <laughs> 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 what are the sort of cultural differences you can have as octopuses? But yeah. the, the thing that everyone's worried about is during that... When that ice sheet was gone last time, the sea level was five to ten metres higher than ah, this. Okay. Metres. Just because yeah. of the physical amount of water well, that is in there. Well, that it? plus a few other things. Okay. But, yeah, that is a huge amount of water that's just sitting there, currently floating, that could then be released back into our oceans. So the reason this is important to do research like this is so we can more accurately predict sea level rise. A lot of people mm. think that we already know pretty much like hundreds of years into the future what our sea level rise is going to look like not entirely true there's a lot of different factors that go into it there's positive reinforcement cycles lots of things that can actually make it a lot more intense than we're predicting such as the collapse of the west antarctic ice sheet mm. earlier than we anticipate um such as right now hopefully it doesn't happen on this show that's right <laughs> i want to know about octopuses if they actually count in like an octal system, you know, like we use the decimal system. Oh, you think they use their legs yeah, to count? Yeah, to count, like zero to seven. count? Uh, ooh. Well, they seem to be able to do everything else. I reckon we should look into this and report back Looking, after the break, Max. I think okay. we should. <laughs> okay. I, hmm. I think what we're learning generally at the moment is a brain really isn't necessary for thought or learning. Mm. Like, I think we mm. knew for a long time that, that you didn't need a brain to react. <sighs> and it does. Oh my goodness, finally. I could hear you. I could hear you gearing up for that. <laughs> yeah, because he doesn't have a brain, so he has to make all that noise. His arms, his arms and legs have to come to a committee agreement to make the joke. You tune into 4ZZZ, and the show is No Idea with me, Max, Gabe, Peter, and finally, she's here. Yep. Good morning, Izzy. Good morning. Yep. <laughs> I made it. We survived in the new... We're here. New year, 2024. Welcome. Now. Oh, counting octopuses. Yes. Peter, counting you got an answer? Update. I can't really see anything. Honestly, hmm. being a scientist is half... Half the job is knowing how to use Google and Google Scholar <laughs> and finding <laughs> studies. And what is useful information and what isn't. So, yeah. to be completely honest, I did look this up, yeah. but I'm using my skills to know what is good information. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And as far as I can tell... It's not really been tested, mm. but not because no one cares or is interested. Mm. It's more just because it's a very difficult thing to test. Yeah. Like, you can test how smart they are by how they can get out of a jar or through this or through that. Mm. Or do they know geometry mm. even? But counting, a little mm. bit difficult to tell whether something is or is not counting mm. something. Um, so, as far as I can tell so far, we don't have an answer to that. Yeah. It looks like no. I think we put them in a room with eight escape routes. And then see which one they use. And then hopefully... How is that counting? Uh, I don't know yet. That's just... He's getting there. <laughs> which one? Let him cook. <laughs> Let him cook. Let him cook. I think the thing you would need to do is give them... Show them like eight shapes or something. Mm. And then make them choose... Classify them. Yeah, say... Mm is there seven or eight and only give them a reward if they choose the correct one. But yeah. even then, it's difficult to know if they're counting because an experiment designed like that would be... Can you just shape see? recognition? Yeah. Exactly, yeah. like is it is volume recognition even yeah, is different. Okay, difficult to say whether they're doing that. Okay, the ABC put this quiz together, <laughs> a science quiz. Mm, talking about quizzes, which mm. I sent out to you guys via the Instagram. Oh, and that's and I was a bit disappointed <laughs> with us because we're like um, we're the science 
sort of professionals and in inverted commas. <laughs> professionals. Yeah, that's the word I'd use. That's the <laughs> word I'd use. Communicators. Let's do that. And I, I did the test, and there's 10 questions. You can go to the ABC web, news website and check it out. It's called the Science Quiz 2023. And I got seven yeah. out of ten. And I was really disappointed with that. You told us, and you were like, oh, yeah. sorry, guys, I only pulled seven. <laughs> and then you sent the link. I sent the and link. And, man. Peter, how did you go? I got six out of ten. Oh, that's all right. That's good. No. Yeah. No, no, no. Because a couple of them, <laughs> oh, I was like... I don't know, man. I'll pick the one I feel the most confident about. Like, it's yeah. not like I was going through being like, yep, 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 yep. No, it's a hard quiz. <laughs> this is, it's multi-choice, too. It's not yeah, like you're it's just... Not, it's a hard... Yeah. It's easy to... Did you do as badly I got, as I did? I did three out of ten. I got four. Oh. Yeah. Well, I think, my, in my defence, I needed to be weirder science. Like, yeah. we don't navigate with that mainstream. We, we're yeah, un- okay. we we got to find our science at the back of Reddit. Mm, more motor like, science. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, the motor... Yeah, it's like a photo of Lewis Hamilton at the bottom. That's Maybe right. I would have been a bit more motivated to keep going, but nah, three out of ten. And both V and J did it, and mm. they both got four as oh well. Oh, God. Yeah, okay, well, so I feel a bit It's a hard now. quiz. It was yeah. really hard. <laughs> also, can I just comment? If the ABC is listening, I think mm. one of your problems was, mm. given that we are people who look at science every week, I feel like we probably should have scored higher as a group. <laughs> <laughs> also, I found when I got my answer, it said I did better than eight... Sorry, I did... 8% better than most people. Yeah, and I did, I did 13% Yeah, and I was most like, people, most people yeah. shouldn't be getting less than yeah. 6 on so your quiz. So, like, 5 yeah. was the norm. Yeah, yeah, and so I just want to give the ABC oh. some feedback. <laughs> yeah. Feedback is really important. Yeah. One of the things I noticed was, and I don't know if you guys had the same problem, but some of the multiple choice answers, I was like... Okay, I think this one's the most right. But some of the others, I was like, that's definitely happened. There were some well. leading questions. Yeah. yeah. There yeah. were some leading questions. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so Look, I was a bit confused. If you, if you want to do the quiz, text us what score you got. 0420 mm. If you got an eight, maybe we'll replace Izzy with you or something. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> 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 I'm going back to Whatever. But you can't announce on the on the airways of Four Triple Z Max no. unless you're a subscriber, can you? That's right. So you have to go to our website at fourzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzz
Oh, we'll get you one. We'll get you one, Peter. You were never a kid, were you, Peter? Okay. Oh. <laughs> okay, it's time for the best part of the show. Loosely defined as science, yeah, you already know. Everybody listens to four triple Z just to hear us talking about what Butters just did. Subscriptions just keep rolling like the tires on a car. But something tells me that our science covers won't go far. But unlike an engine, I won't keep you in suspension. We're all here to hear him talk, so let's give him attention. You're not ready for when he starts rapping, gonna hand the mic to Max, and I'm not talking Van Staffen. Lights out and away we go! Oh, amazing, another great performance by Jay on the murder rap intro. Beautiful. Yeah, never forget oh. that that was Jay. That was <laughs> Jay, and he was amazing. I'm going to talk about Casey Stoner. He's a MotoGP rider. Was. Yeah, arguably Australia's last great MotoGP champion. Well. Until Jack Miller. Yes, Snares won this year, we hope. On Correct. Much improved KTM. Casey recently spoke about his decision to retire back in 2012. After securing two MotoGP world titles, he said that his heart wasn't in anymore, stating, if you want to continue in the sport, you have to be fully committed mm. and make your body do things that it doesn't want to do. It's pretty amazing because he had a few years of really tough MotoGP battles mm. and he's just one of those sports people, especially for motorsports, they've read a come by, but who's just like, seems genuinely to be a very nice person, yeah, a very down to earth yeah. person because he, yeah. he was sort of still in his prime, maybe mm. like... He was, was 27. It? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and he'd won at least one of the last two years mm. as a MotoGP rider yeah. and then and then he's like yeah i'm done now because he's like like he said he says i'm not in it i'm the having fun, a kid fun wasn't there and if i'm not fully yeah. in it and i've got a child on the way i'm just not yeah. going to do it anymore so he just left and he, he hated, never came back he hated that the, they put so many electronics on the bikes mm. um so he because he, he he could extend the bike's performance without the electronics where yeah. some drivers need the electronics to steady the bike and, and he, it was amazing to watch mm. because he started pioneering some different ways of like sliding into mm. corners and things and then yeah he just left he did do testing for a while for, for Ducati. Yeah. yeah and i remember at one point that people were like why aren't you coming back because his yeah, test yeah, his test so laps good. were faster yeah. than some of the riders <laughs> laps but never came back for a full race after he won the uh, 2007 motor gp championship casey lent his uh, bike to formula one champion michael schumacher to do a few hot laps of the valencia circuit in italy michael put in some impressive times he was about five seconds off the the lap record but I remember that uh, reading that Michael Schumacher, when he saw Casey Stoner ride a bike, he said, that guy can just do things that I cannot ever envisage being able to do. Anyway, and talking about Michael Schumacher, he's 55 today. There you go. Yeah. Happy birthday to that guy. It's been 10 years since his freak ski accident, which rendered the seven-time world champion to a life out of the public eye. The, uh, not much is known of his condition at the moment. Suffice to say, it has been a very sad 10 years for the F1 community not to have such a brilliant driver to offer his insights and ex expertise to the sport. And I, d I qualify that, that most of us love, Peter. Thank you. Yeah. I, d I genuinely don't know who most of these people are. Now, do you know about Valtteri Bottas now? Well, I do. I now, now I've seen quite a lot of him. Yeah. 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 I walked in this morning and Max said, here's my new calendar and handed me a ream of papers with some butt-ass naked guy. And I was like, I don't know. I, it said bot-ass yeah, on the front, yeah. which I was like, 
that's funny. I don't really get it though. <laughs> like, I had no idea who was. And it took me until Jay's rap where I was like, oh, that's where I've heard it's the name the guy, before. Yeah. It's that guy. Nice. Did you like, yeah, Max's uh, Christmas present to Max? <laughs> it's incredible. Has the wifey seen it yet? Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Anyway, he's been, uh, Valtteri's been posting some photos of himself riding on the roads and tracks of Kangaroo Island. This is just off Adelaide, by the way. And this time with his clothes on, Peter, so you'll be well informed oh, okay. on that. Yeah, great. No, see, Gabe, Gabe just <laughs> opened it. Sorry, I'm flicking through this calendar. It's like butterfly shaped. Yeah. Like he's he's really clenching. Wild. He's really clenching. <laughs> it's butterfly shaped. No, because because you see the listeners. Oh, February's can't under see a it. waterfall. Can't the yeah. listeners They've can't see it. It's our job to be descriptive. Yeah. At Valtteri Bodas on Instagram, most of these are there. Oh, are they? Oh my okay, God. I thought this was like OnlyFans. Like you guys have just paid for it or something. <laughs> oh, I tried. I went off. Actually, one of my favourite things about the calendar is that it's not really much it's of a calendar. The numbers calendar. are just basically down the bottom, so mm. that you can have a reason to have multiple naked pictures of this man. Yes, and for every yeah. calendar sold, he's donating uh, stuff to prostate cancer research. Yeah. So. May is, is butt-ass naked yeah. eating an apple in an apple orchid. Orchid? Orchard. Orchard. Orchard, Orchard. Yeah. please. Oh, he's riding a bike naked. There. For June? Wow. For June. Is this just the motor rap where we're describing? <laughs> can we do, yeah, no, I think we should. I think we should because I can actually, like, be a part of this. Gabriel, can you please give us... Uh, my best month is June. Can you give us yeah, the that, June that in detail? That was, that in detail. Naked bicycle. That's not much. People people yeah, can't yeah. assume No, that. you don't need any more than that. <laughs> <laughs> He's got his helmet on. Safety first. That's right. Safety first. <laughs> Meanwhile, the Phoenix Roman Grosjean has been saddened by the news of Gil DeFaron mm. passing away at only 56. So he's basically my age, which is a bit of a worry. He suffered a fatal heart attack. Hmm. Gil was a two-time Indy champion and winner of the Indy 500. He worked in F1 as well as a sporting director for two teams. He started off in Bar Honda and then, which became Braun. You know, we all know what happened there. And McLaren teams. So, yeah, RIP Gil DeFaro. And that is it for the Motor Report this week, or the Motor Wrap, or whatever we're calling it these days. If no one else can help, and if you can find them, maybe you can hire Z. Four triple Z. I reckon uh, I can do that voiceover. Thank you. No reverb. You're welcome. Yeah. Okay, do it right now. Four triple Z. <laughs> nice. You're you tuned into four triple Z. You tuned into four triple Z, and the show is no idea with me, Max, Gabe, Izzy, and Peter. Gabe, what do you got for us? I've got for you, Max, the honey hunters and the honey guys that they use to find their honey. We talked about this at the top of the show, Max. It's this this amazing interactions between humans and wild birds that goes on in a lot of parts of Africa. It's one of these things that doesn't. It's like been going on for so long, potentially hundreds of thousands of years. Mm. Uh, in some sort of there's some been some sort of bird that works with humans to find bees. Uh, that they don't really know where exactly it began, where it spread to, when it spread to these different areas. It's just one of these cultural things that is happening uh, across a lot of areas. It seems to be concentrated across the sort of east coast of Africa, Mozambique, Tanzania, those sorts of places. Mm. Uh, and so it's this interaction where uh, humans use specialised sounds to communicate with, with birds. And birds use specialised sounds to communicate with humans, Ooh. and together they find uh, beehives. So the the birds fly around, find where the beehives are. Mm. They'll then hear humans making these calls. They'll go down and call to those people, and the people know which 
species of bird it is and they start calling back and forth the researchers who are involved in this uh, recent study say it, it does sound like they're sort of chatting back and forth with each other as they oh, do this cool. the birds guide these honey hunters through the landscape they find the hive the birds can't get into the hive because of all the bees but people have smoke and axes and all sorts of beautiful things that let us get into the beehives so they get into the beehive they get their honey which can make up to oh, about yeah, yeah. 20% of the calories mm. of these people whoa uh, oh, in these I areas get 20% of my food from honey 20% of your calories from honey pretty oh, good I hey love that. and then they oh, use man. some of the, depending on where you are and, and what's needed at the time they'll use some of the wax and then they'll either share or discard the rest of the wax with the birds and that's what the birds want they want the wax from oh. the beehive birds so need to get on honey chomp on those doing business yeah so it's an amazing relationship that uh, we don't know how long it's been going on for we don't know how how long this sort of has been evolutionarily linked between the two like it's high it, it's mm. possible that these birds wouldn't survive or at least wouldn't survive in these areas in these numbers without this built-in relationship with humans the, the one of the things that's a bit weird though is that honey hunters in different parts of africa use different calls to communicate with honey guides the birds the birds are called honey guides the people are called honey hunters uh cool. there's there's one group in tanzania called called the hadza honey hunters and they communicate using a melodic whistle which max is going to play for you now the hazda honey hunters Aww. Sounds like they're like singing. So they have this like melodic whistle that they do. Mm. Uh, there's some speculation about why uh, they use the whistling and it's potentially cultural factors relating to the wider hunting practices of different groups um, so the whistle may have come from honey hunters in Tanzania or at least in this Hadza region of Tanzania uh, attracting honeybird guides sounds like a bird call which reduces the risk of frightening away the prey animals they're trying to hunt at the same time so they'd be oh. hunting for honey at the same time as they're hunting for other stuff so pretty. by making a melodic bird sound maybe it frightens prey less in that part of the world mm. there's another group in Mozambique the Yao honey hunters and they use a trill followed by by a grunt, which Max is going to play for you now. These are the Yao Honey Hunters. So it's very different, right? It's like... Like, Sounds like what I'm what I do when I'm playing with my dog. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very, <laughs> very, very different sound. So, the, do they find a beehive for you or not? <laughs> no, he doesn't. And I feel like he should really be pulling his weight. <laughs> <laughs> I've already trademarked Honey Hunters as my band name, so you really need to start. <laughs> so this loud trill uh, that these Yao Honey Hunters make in Mozambique is followed by that grunt, and they think it's potentially because it's a good way for them to frighten away large animals where they're hunting for honey like elephants and buffalo. So we, we talked about a few weeks ago on the show how they tested the sounds of like gunshot versus human voice versus yeah, lions roaring yeah, yeah, on a bunch yeah, of animals yeah, in Savannah. Yeah, they're really afraid African of Savannah, and they, yeah, the humans reason. was the one they were afraid of the most. <laughs> so potentially this very distinctively human human like sort of sound and I a grunt is <laughs> is how they frighten away elephants and buffalo and why peter would be eaten by an elephant or a buffalo but there's these differences right and and in these different areas the honey guides respond to the different calls so whatever it is that they're responding to they're able to pick up on local that would, a, a variety of different human calls. So the question was, do they just respond to that anything and it doesn't really matter or are they able to distinguish between the different types of calls? Um, so what they found is that the, they went to... Well, I'll tell you what they did. They went to Tanzania. So that's the, the whistling... Step one. The place yeah. with the whistling. Yeah. <laughs> Go to the place. <laughs> yep, they went to Tanzania. It's researchers. It was done in collaboration with some local researchers too. <laughs> 
Uh, yeah, they did. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, went to Tanzania, and to be fair, this has been like a 10-year research partnership with these right, uh, honey yeah. hunters, yeah. Uh, and we've talked about them before on the show, I think. Uh, but they went to Tanzania, uh, and where they do the whistling call that we heard first, and then they use the, the trill and grunt sound played that and we're trying to see if the birds would come when they're called and what they found is that the birds responded more to the local whistle sound than they did to the grunt and oh, but the they trilling did, grunt they did respond to some extent very variable they flew away uh they found that the <laughs> just to quote them they found that the honey guys prefer the calls given by their local human partners compared to foreign calls and arbitrary human sounds uh and so they then flipped the experiment and went to mozambique where mm. the trill and grunt call is the local call and uh, then they played the whistle and yeah. the whistle um, the honey guys in the Nisa Special Reserve in Mozambique are almost twice as likely to cooperate in response to the local yow trill and grunt to the for- than they are to the foreign Hadza, Hadza whistle how, how far do these birds live though? Like what's the birds distribution? Do they have overlap? I don't think they know I, This these two groups seem far enough apart but there is mm. there would definitely be birds that exist across areas Because you'd think they'd travel the calls sounds. Like the it, it matters less where the humans are as it, it does where the birds are because if a bird that has grown up on the yow call moves then it could bring that knowledge across yeah they say it benefits both species helps the honey the humans attract a honey guide to show them the hard to find Which bees is, in what's that the area. name for this relationship gabe uh well mu- symbiosis yes mutual symbiosis and it also helps a honey guide birds choose a good partner to help them get the wax uh so yeah self-reinforcing for bir- for both birds and humans they say basically what they've found from this is it's something that can sort of evolve or, or, or come to pa- come to pass over like potentially lifetimes, multiple lifetimes, millennia, however long it may be. But the specific call that the humans are using isn't as important. It's kind of like a human word. Whatever sound we we agree to put to... So if I went bees, name, bees, bees, bees. We know it means yeah, bees, cool. right? The sound itself... <laughs> kind of has maybe has some automatopoeia going to it but doesn't really matter we just know what we're referring to seems to be the same thing that the birds aren't like responding to a human call that sounds like what they talk like they just know that's the sound of the humans who are going to help me that find means, the, the yeah, beeswax I'm about to get some wax. and they go over there and they help the humans find the wax do you want to play the whistle one more time max because i love that it's sound. so pretty kind of reminds me of hunger games kind of reminds me of hunger games so that's the humans whistling to communicate with the birds. So pretty. It's so pretty. If I was a bird, I'd be charmed. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be like, yeah, honey tonight. <laughs> Fair enough. That's my story. Cool, cool. What is the independent variable that makes no idea tick? That's what I mm. want to know. You tuned into four triple Z, and the show is a no idea with me, Max, Peter, Gabe. What do you got for us, Izzy? A uh, new study from the University of Würzburg. 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 You got a Q- QS ranking? Uh, no. I'll, I'll look it up. Yeah, okay. do that whilst I do this. <laughs> has um, invested, has investigated how Matabeli ants in the South Sahara can distinguish between infectious and non-infectious wounds and, even better, create an antibacterial substance to aid in healing those wounds. This is anti antibacterial. Anti and anti no anti bacterial. There anti- we go. We got that. Anti dash i bacterial. Curious ranking uh, for anyone wants to guess. Würzburg University. Three hundred. Uh, Two hundred. Four twenty eight. Four hundred and forty. <gasps> I was so. I've been doing so well. Has anyone else noticed that? <laughs> I've noticed that. <laughs> So these ants are some of the pickiest eaters with a diet consisting of only termites, which is unfortunate because what's a known trait about termites? They fight back. They fight back hard. 
Um, as a result, it's really common for ants to receive various types of injuries. So, um, Dr. Eric Frank, who is the lead researcher on this, alongside uh, JMU Professor Do- uh, Thomas Schmidt, has shown that a hydrocarbon profile of the ant cuticle changes um, does as a result of wound infection. So they're looking at it, going, "How is this? You know, how are?" Uh, I guess, um, how are they healing from these types of wounds? Regen powers. Regen powers, legit. Oh, um, love. So the ant, if you want to get the ant treatment regime, it includes applying <laughs> an antimicrobial proteins from the metapleural gland, which is on the side of the thorax in an ant. So this what? is coming straight from the ant. They're just pumping betadine out of their side. They size. are. <laughs> 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 <I'd be laughs> straight out. These compounds contain 112 components, with half of them being antimicrobial or wound healing effects. They're literally just like pumping Pumpin straight. Out. Can you imagine if we did that? Screw yeah. Hippocratic Oath. Can someone please start creating stuff out of there? Like, doctors <laughs> are not pulling dude. it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so the research group found that the mortality rate of infected ants reduced by 90% with Whoa. this type of treatment. Dr. Frank noted that with the exceptions of humans, I know no other living uh, creature that can carry out such sophisticated medical wound treatments. So this researcher and yeah, the but team... But we don't make it. Yeah, we, don't we don't make it out of our bodies. We just find thing. it. Well, the the researcher and the team at Rutzberg would like to explore wound care's um, behaviour in other species and social animals with the potential for a discovery of new antibiotics that could be used on humans. Mm-hmm. Oh, actually, I should retract my statements because while not while doctors don't just do it, mothers do to a certain extent. Mm. If you are breastfeeding, your milk changes. So mm. I learnt this recently. When a baby is latching on, mm. the your uh, nipple can. Ch- f- takes information from the saliva of the baby and Mm. can find out if they've got some sort of disease or something that's going wrong with them. Mm. And then it looks to your own immune system and if you have something that can help them, yeah, it changes Mm. and it puts it into the milk so that the baby can heal. That is mind-blowing. If anyone knows about the girl with the list, to me, that's something... Point mums because <laughs> that is <laughs> superhuman. That is so cool. That rivals the ants in my opinion. But yeah, that's cool, ants. Cool. Um, antibacterial ants. You tuned into Four Triple Z, and the show is No Idea with me, Max, Gabe, Izzy, and Peter. And because it's quarter to the hour, we're going to do this. No Idea Space News. H three. It's not hydrogen. Well, it's hydrogen uh, powered, I guess. What? JAXA's answer to Falcon 9, sort of. They reckon they've got a similar launch price to a Falcon 9. Japan hopes to successfully launch the new Mitsubishi rocket in February. The two-stage rocket has already failed on its first attempt back in March last year. And it failed because the second second stage failed to ignite its single rocket engine. So they sent the command to self-destruct... So hopefully things go better this year for H3. JAXA already has around 30 planned launches for the rocket and there is a heavy variant of the H3 in the works to sing components to the Lunar Gateway. To, sorry, to sing components to? S- send, sorry. Oh, yeah. good. That makes way more sense. Mm. I was like, <laughs> we've invented a new form of transport and somehow that's not the main story. It'd be good if I could announce it, wouldn't it? it you know, as a radio host, it is one of the things that you're supposed to practice. As an announcer, yeah, yeah. I kind of think it came with the job, yeah. Should we bang on about the gateway and how I think it's never going to happen? Go on. So yeah. the gateway, for those wondering what it is, it was meant to be ready to go for the Artemis Three mission, which is going to happen circa 2025, um, not really, about 2028. 
mm. probably Artemis three will go. And uh, mo- mo- a manned mission to the moon. Moon, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. And uh, so this, they, they've decided to build this gateway. But you got to remember, NASA has tremendous lead times when they're trying to build new technology, and the gateway is, of course, new technology. It's meant to uh, be a satellite, like a ISS, but around the moon. Yeah. So it's a lunar space oh, station. Got you. And what happens is the Orion spacecraft carrying the X number of astronauts on board will then hop into the gateway and then just run across a few metres into the lunar starship, which then takes and descends down to the lunar surface for a soft landing. Mm -hmm. So because the Orion spacecraft is not built, it's only meant to get you to the gateway or to lunar orbit and then another spacecraft. And if you're asking yourself, didn't we already go to the moon without a gateway? Yeah. Yes, we did. We did. Yeah. And it a worked. couple of times. <laughs> <laughs> a few it didn't, times. But there were also safety problems with yeah. some of the models. And this was 50 years ago. And it was 50 years ago. Yeah, and now we're thinking, now we need a lunar gateway, which we don't. And something that I think uh, I learned about recently was mm. that, and I'm just spitballing numbers here, but mm. there, there's, a, it, you can't just, not just launching the ship with the astronauts in it. Mm. You know, to get all that gateway stuff set up, yeah. that's multiple launches on top. It's also a a bunch of fuel they have to send up yeah. as well for all of the re- and this is heavy there equipment. and back and everything heavy and so equipment <laughs> and initially they were saying like oh we'll probably have to do like a handful of extra flights yes. to get that stuff up there yeah. then they said I think six was the number yeah. I think the latest estimate was at least a dozen if yeah. not probably more exactly extra and so launches and so this, this it wouldn't be re- if they're still going to build it won't be ready until about 2030 yeah this so 2025 2026 yeah. ideal is is yeah. really plucked out of the air <laughs> that's right weren't you telling me about someone who was saying something about a report that they'd done on some previous people had said, like, this is how you do it, and they hadn't read it. Oh, yeah. yeah. There was, there's a great, uh, if you have a spare hour to kill wrapping <laughs> presents like I did a week ago, uh, the Smarter Every Day on YouTube, the guy who runs that channel, it did a great little dive into the whole program and right. all of these errors. Okay. And, and, and basically there, there was also this report that the, the Apollo mission engineers wrote about like here's how it worked mm-hmm. and a lot of it's just a lot of the stuff that nasa is currently doing their current approach just goes against exactly all of these principles and i remember they're talking to this european designer who was um sort of uh, consulted on the whole gateway thing and he's and he said and we can't put windows on it because it's too heavy to put windows on it and stuff like this right. oh, it's just Jesus. crazy stuff. but then it's like one of those tents you get as a kid that <laughs> folds down oh yeah <laughs> Okay, Man. we've got to play this. It's mandatory if I'm going to talk about the X-37B. What happened to the X-37A? Well... Mm. Mm. We don't talk about that? Asking <laughs> a big question. <laughs> yeah, there's just a red dot on my head. Like <laughs> <laughs> well, the X-37B... It's good to make yourself laugh, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Let me just play these for us. I'm still it's, alive, so... It's now been launched... <laughs> launched we don't the, know that. <laughs> has been launched on the Falcon Heavy. Uh, next time we'll probably be speaking about it is when it lands, which will be about in two years' time, because it is indeed a spy plane for the Space Force. Yeah, it's ASIO, mate. And it's weird that they <laughs> used a Falcon Heavy because they've always used, uh, like, a Delta or a, just a normal Falcon 9 booster, just a single fa- Falcon 9, where the Falcon 9 Heavy... Well, the Falcon Heavy is actually three Falcon 9 boosters strapped together. So it's got a lot, lot of um, momentum. It's a weighty object mm. is what you're saying, X-37B. No, it's not. it's not a weighty object. That's the thing. And, and people are now speculating why they needed so much thrust to get it to a certain velo- a space velocity. So they're thinking mm. it's either going to go out to a very far altitude, because it usually runs in the 2,000-kilometre altitude, mm-hmm. but it might go right out where the geostat are, which is 36,000 kilometres, or... 
if you're really novel, they're thinking that it might have a payload on board that they want to send to the moon and drop on the moon. So wait, should we be talking about this live on air? There's oh, a true. spy Red dots on all of Yeah, them. red dots on <laughs> everyone. <laughs> so there you go. Man. 2023 saw SpaceX almost reach their aspirational goal of 100 launches. Anyone has a guess? to how many launches they managed to successfully do in 2023. Just one space company alone. You said almost, so I'm going to go... I mean, because it's SpaceX, I'm I'm honestly fighting back the urge mm. to say, like, 12, just to make <laughs> Elon twitch. <laughs> but given that you said almost, I'm going to say 89. Let's 70. 94. Okay. 99. Oh, they oh, didn't. Oh, bugger off. Well, I'm actually quite happy they didn't make this call. <laughs> Can you imagine going to, the, like, the team meeting? They're like, so our KPI this year was 100 launches. How did you go? And you're like, 99? Yeah. Oh. I think they want to do, like, 200 this year. So That's incredible. That's four launches a week into orbit. Yeah, yeah. That's crazy. That's amazing, That's that. With reusable rockets. Now that we're in 2024, right. there's a few significant launches we should look at. For the first half of the year, we've got a subscriber! Hey, what? Hey, how's that it's going? ASIO. They're listening <laughs> in. ASIO right. wants to know. We've got the Polaris Dawn. <laughs> Did you just play the harp seal? Yeah. 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 <laughs> that, the harp seal will never die if you subscribe while we're on air. This is our promise. We will play that seal. The, um, oh, yes. Okay, so 2024, we'll see the Polaris Dawn. Flight number one. It's a privately funded crew dragon that will go into low Earth orbit. And what's special about this particular mission is that it will feature a spacewalk using SpaceX designed spacesuits for the first time. Not sure that the crew dragon was actually designed to allow for spacewalks because it's primarily designed to dock with the International Space Station, which actually provides the airlock you need to get in and out of oh, the Oh, there's like a special key. Oh. <laughs> okay. Oh, yeah. Anyway, it's Damn. scheduled for April, so keep an eye out for that. Maybe they're just going to shove them off the plane. <laughs> it's I a spacewalk. <laughs> Make your own Straight way back. to the outside. Yeah. Yeah. Starliner. This is going to be the crewed flight test. It's, it's scheduled for April. Uh, Starliner was meant to augment NASA's capability to send crew to the ISS, but sticky valves, faulty wiring, mm. some parachute issues, to name a few, have all coalesced into la- delaying the spacecraft from entering service. This upcoming test was orig- originally scheduled for 2017, so they're running a bit behind schedule. If all goes well, Starliner will be human-rated and ready for operational service by 2025. And finally, the Super Heavy slash Starship test number three. The, fl- the third flight test of the fully reusable solution should be incrementally better than the previous. The second launch... <laughs> though, you'd hope so. Not, you'd hope so. Is that I'm not the guess- point? The second launch wasn't entirely successful. Right. If you're wondering what Max is talking about, they were the very expensive fireworks SpaceX made last year. <laughs> <laughs> one just above the launch pad, one a bit higher up. But to their credit, that was sort of planned. They, were, they, they weren't expecting it to get the full there, distance. There were, there were a few issues, let's say. The Starship started tumbling, so they had to explode that up. That is, yeah. No, that's a problem. I'd, I'd rate that as a problem. And mm. super heavy, the, the boost of it. It exploded while, while it was trying to do its manoeuvres mm. to get back to Earth. Yeah, also a problem. Probably. <laughs> not in the wanted list. Okay, this is what I'm, I'm envisaging for the third attempt. It'll be one of two things. Fire. Starship. <laughs> 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 fire. Starship will almost make it to orbital velocity and land 100 kilometres off the northwest coast of Hawaii 
and or Super Heavy, the booster bit, will successfully re-enter Earth's atmosphere and do a soft splashdown in the Gulf of Mexico. They're both going to hit water, no mm. matter what. Mm-hmm. Okay. okay. Mm. No launch date as yet because the FAA has to review test two before issuing a launch license for test <laughs> three. So. Okay. so we don't know when that's going to happen. Okay. But mm. when it does, we'll let you know. And honestly, like we tease, but it is phenomenal to watch mm. these things take off. They are like buildings flying up into the sky. And finally, mm. we have to play this for Izzy because Izzy's in this week and she managed to do something <laughs> that we thought wasn't possible. Well done, Izzy. 69 yeah, flights. 69 flights. 69, 69 flights. flights. So we've reset the target now because it is still operational. Mm-hmm. And um, Peter said 88. I'm 88. I'm going for 100. And I said 120, yeah, right? Yeah, you just For the Mars mind. helicopter. Gabe <laughs> <laughs> okay. just decided yeah. to throw Why it not? out there. Double the or nothing. 120. Yeah. So what do you reckon, Izzy? You've got a new number. Out. Double sixty nine, you reckon? Mm, I have to, I have to think about it. I think about it. Ninety six, maybe. Come back to us next week. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Number sixty nine is going to take a minute to think about it. Second guess. <laughs> See, I put all my thought into the sixty nine for the first round. I need more thought for the second. <laughs> Lots of brain space needed. Yeah, that was so much. Yeah, it anyway, was calculated. And that's it for the space news this week. Mm. Nice. What do you reckon, Gabe? You want to sign us out? I can sign us out, Max. Hand hand over. Thank you for tuning in with us over the last two hours, Talking Science, on your Wednesday morning. We're back again next week. You can also catch the show on 4AAA.org.au, live and on demand. And we're live on the Community Radio Plus app, which is pretty damn good these days. Mm. Uh, And we're also available as a podcast on whichever podcast app you're using. If you want to listen back to the show, the music's out of that version uh, and you can just listen to it with the music on the 4ZZZ.org.au website uh, if you want to find the podcast just search No Idea 4ZZZ into whatever you're using to get your podcast and it'll show up there and you can listen rating. to all the shows Beautiful. yeah very good rating yeah. very good rating we're five currently star five rating. stars yeah. best podcast on Spotify <laughs> <laughs> there's actually no one with a better rating than us right now okay we'll speak to you next week I'm a goddamn marvel of modern science science